Infiltration has opened up to IGN Korea about his domestic abuse situation from last year, which resulted in his leaving the Capcom Pro Tour all the way through 2019. We're nearing the end of his ban period, and thus, we discuss where things now stand and how the community may receive him once he comes back. Plus, Majin Ten Shinhan joins us to talk about where the Super Smash Bros. DLC ship is headed next, and we check the mailbag on this episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. Perfect. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Hello, hello. All right, um, so we're going to actually start this episode off on a little bit more of a negative you know, subject, um, but I think it's a subject that a lot of people are very interested in in the fighting game community, and that's what's going on with Infiltration right now. Um, and the most recent thing is that he did an interview with IGN Korea. Uh, there was an RKappa user that um, translated it, but we're not exactly entirely sure of the veracity of that translation. We think it's accurate, or we would not have put it up there at all, um, but again... Uh, lost in translation is a phrase for a reason. You know, uh, that's what we get into. But, but John, I know you put together this story. Um, do you want to like kind of round out like why we put this together and kind of like the main angle we looked at uh, when doing so? Sure. So there's a lot to this. Of course, the in the interview that Infiltration has just recently done, he goes into pretty specific detail on what happened that night and, and such. And um, that's not so much our focus right now. But more so the fact that he, as a competitor, will be soon returning to the Capcom Pro Tour. Already has returned as far as competition in general because he went to EVO 2019 and won in Sam's show in true infiltration fashion. It was like a Tuesday for him, right? Mm -hmm. um, but th this guy's coming back and it's more about, well, how is the community going to receive him now that, you know, this, this ban period is pretty much over with? Uh, well, it will be over with. Actually, realistically speaking, it's uh, through the 2019, all of 2019, not just the season, but I guess the year. Uh, of course, that ends in about a little less than four months. But then realistically, as far as the Pro Tour is concerned, stuff doesn't usually get started till about March final round time. So we still got, you know, six, seven months before we'll actually see him playing in Pro Tour action. Um, but... It does stand to, to discuss, you know, that he did this interview and we are coming up on the end of this ban period that he himself imposed. Um, there's maybe something a little bit to talk about there in the sense that it wasn't actually like Capcom didn't come forward and, and say Infiltration can't be on the tour first. Infiltration said, I'm going to be stepping away for the remainder of 2018 and through 2019. Capcom followed up on that and said, we agree with that, essentially, and that if anything else happened in this same vein, that would result in a lifetime ban. So it's not to say that Capcom would not have banned him, but it was Infiltration that 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 came up with this and that set the parameters or the, the the window for how long it would be as far as we can tell and that window is going to be over with pretty soon right and I want to go back to something you said that we're not focusing on a lot of what happened with his ex-wife and him in that situation because the details there are pretty murky and there's a lot you know there's both sides of the tale um, there's you know the documents police records are you know written in Korean um, you know, and there's also legal reasons we're not really going to get into that aspect of things. Uh, we can get ourselves in hot water. Um, the information's out there as much as we know. Uh, you guys can definitely pour over the documents that Panda Global and Capcom put out there. Uh, there's more stuff in the um, IGN Korean interview, Korea, I should say, interview. Um, that stuff is out there, but it often comes down to like, you know, 
uh, no one really knows what happened there except for the two of them, right? And uh, even then, when a lot of high emotions are involved, it's a proven scientific fact that your memory does not work as well because your brain is trying to process um, everything that's going on. And it's hard for your brain to keep up and keep a perfect memory of everything. So it's a, that's a very rough situation. And I, I don't think anyone is very qualified to talk about that. Uh, and the people who are talking about that are the legal system, the courts and whatnot. And that's where it should be. So, But mm-hmm. we are focusing right now on how we think things will go when infiltration does return to the scene. Um, and I will start off by saying, that I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to feel about it. This is a rough spot that he put himself in. And I look at the scenario and I don't see a single winner at all. Everyone lost. And that's rough. That is just yeah. like, hey, you know what? That is a complete ball of, of suck. You know, like, and I don't know any other way to put it, right? Um, but we are seeing some people in the community, re, uh, their reaction to him right now. Uh, some were apathetic. Others have a uh, had a serious issue with him being allowed to compete at Evo 2019. And for myself, I don't agree with what he did and how he handled himself with this scenario. You know, reading over the documents and all that kind of stuff. Um, and neither does he. Right. And to quote him, actually, from that piece that we recently posted, he said, if I have acted better or if I acted better, uh, none of this would have happened. And so he does acknowledge that, like, look, I messed up here. There were some parts I did wrong, all that other kind of stuff. There it is. Um, And if you follow the case closely and know the major details of what happened, uh, his ex-wife got a light bruise on her wrist uh, and was cleared immediately to, like, go back to work. You know, no major issues. Like, she didn't need to stay in the hospital or anything like that. That's This is stuff that's been documented, right? Uh, The things about her being choked, uh, severely beaten, um, you know, all that kind of stuff that that was posted on RCAPA uh, and on social media when it first came out, that was entirely a fabrication that just to make infiltration look awful. Uh, Some people bought that, and apparently some people still do and it worked Uh, I can't fault the strategy of whoever put that out there we have our suspicions there Uh, but it worked because a lot of people bought it hook line and sinker but there was there was also a transcript that went up that wasn't used in the evidence but that was a big thing that was used in that same vein to put infiltration in a negative light saying that I don't know the specifics of it so I won't go into it but it made it sound like he was doing a lot more physical the, a lot more physical abuse than what seems to have actually come up. And that, again, was not used as evidence in this whole case legally. Right. So people have hung on to that. Um, I, When you're looking at the stuff, I think you have to stick to the facts of what's been documented. And what was documented mm-hmm. was a light bruise on her wrist. That is what she said. Yeah. And, and there was nothing more. Um, if you were choking someone, uh, I would assume they would have some kind of marks or some type of other thing on them if you know that happened. And so, again, I completely call into question any uh, amount of that, that that happened at all, especially if you're, you know, to the degree that it was posted on that he beat her with like an inch of her life or something is, is what was said. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, if you're going on our Kappa and expecting to find, you know, highly detailed and verified sources and all that kind of stuff, you're in the completely wrong spot. Uh, every now and again, they have some interesting stuff come up there. Uh, we're citing the translation from there. Um, it happens, but for the most part, that's a really bad source to look at. So is, you know, social media overall. So, um, but anyway, um, for the people complaining about him being at Evo, so so all this stuff in mind, um, and, and you know, you know, we, we've just covered the details. I would ask them, if infiltration were to be banned for life over this inf- incident, do you think that would be fair? Like, and, and I, to me, I can't look at someone having a light bruise on their wrist, at, however she got it, you know, kind of thing, and saying, you know what, that is a lifetime ban from our community. You know, that is a, you are done, you're never allowed to be here, and 
Capcom looked at it. Panda Global looked at it. A lot of people looked at the situation. Uh, the police looked at it in Korea, and and he got a fine from it. You know, there was no uh, jail time. There was no anything like that. He paid a fine, and they moved on basically. Um, mm-hmm. And how I look at this is some of the people like complaining loudest about infiltration and other uh, other people like that that mess up in this way. Um, those people, and in my opinion, oftentimes have very big skeletons in their own closets that they're basically trying to excise or whatever, like out of their lives and whatnot and say like, hey, you know what, like you messed up big time and, and you know, blah, blah, blah and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, I, I think people who are more down to earth and other things, like they don't really feel the need to call someone out. But usually oftentimes, like you, you've got some some major stuff you've messed up on in your own life. And that causes you to lash out at other people that you see doing, you know, similar things. I don't disagree. Um, but I, I'm trying to give the, the benefit, not the benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to see it from all sides. So if you're the, the person that's saying, I don't think you should be at Evo, and, I, and, and maybe you're saying that this isn't enough of a, of a punishment, whatever it is, uh, you're against infiltration still coming to majors and such. What is the, the basis of this? Like, what is your argument against him? Outside of just, I don't think you should be here. It's like, well, why? Because, because if it's you know, we none of us, like as you established, none of us know exactly what happened. All we can go off of is the information that's come out, and then a lot of that information is he said, she said. So it doesn't get us all that far. You can see something as as um, you know solid as well. The damage done physically was a light bruise on the wrist, right? But at some point, you have to go. Well, I have to uh, uh, leave it to those that we have chosen, you know, as a society, the law to. Uh, I have to give it up to whatever they decide. And they've decided that it wasn't like a, a criminal kind of thing. It was it was you pay this fine um, and and that's the end of it. And they don't feel like he needs to be, you know, separated from the community further. And then that also goes for Capcom and the actions that they've taken. And then, of course, Infiltration himself. But I wouldn't really use him as, a, as one of the deciding uh, voices in this particular vein. But I'm like, what is it that hasn't been done what's your argument that he shouldn't be here anymore yeah because the people that we've given authority to to make that choice have made that choice and they say he can be here now yeah and i think that what i've seen out there is people say any amount of domestic violence like whenever it happens at any level it's you're done you know kind of thing and i'm just i i look at that and i look at the examples that i've seen out there in, in other places and i go that's not realistic that's not how things work like infiltration was charged with the u.s equivalent this was done in south korea but the u.s equivalent of misdemeanor battery and that can be punished like the the punishment for that varies wildly on the criminal record of the person involved i'm assuming infiltration had a completely clean record before this uh based on what he got that would probably be the case um but over here on the state side of things the jail time for that is about a month um or a fine uh and again that's r not usually both uh is that is what the common theme seemed to be and again infiltration paid a fine for this and he moved on you know and so it seems like the equivalency um, from our two countries is around the, the same ballpark. I can't say for sure, but at least it's it's somewhat around there, right? And, yeah. And mm-hmm. well, of that, and I think that I agree with you that that's where they would be coming from. Like any any is like too much. Well, that's not what we say in our legal system, which I think is what you're kind of getting at, right? Right. So so no, you don't get to say uh, you don't have an authority above our locally agreed upon authority that says this is how things will work out, you know? Yeah, and I agree with you. And I, I mean, it's you can have that opinion, 
but and I, I think that's what you know people are doing it's like i'm not seeing major tos and stuff jump out to ban them yet and you know if that's going to happen uh, maybe it happens later on down the line or something like that but um overall i i have not seen that be the case and and i i think a lot of people who have big platforms you know are are using it as a chance to lash out at them and again i go back to i think those people usually have very large uh, skeletons in their own closet they're trying to make up for um but with saying that though um I do want to say again, I'm not saying he did nothing wrong by his own admission. Mm-hmm. He knows he screwed up. Um, it's just, it's not a lifetime battable expense, uh, offense to me. Like that's not no. what this is for. Um, so, uh, we have a legal system here in the U S where you do this, you do the crime, you, you do your time, uh, you pay your fine, you move on. Um, uh, you get out and that's usually that you're often allowed to go back to work in most fields doing whatever kind of job you want to do. There are a few industries where you do anything like this and you're done, you know, like, but those are few and far between, uh, these kind of cases, again, misdemeanor battery and whatnot, like people go back to work, like they're not, you know, banned for life from their job type thing. Uh, so, um, this, you know, I, I also think that, that, uh, with this infiltration is, well, one, he's, he's definitely not getting out of this scot-free, outside of even the payment. When he comes back, everyone that looks at this guy, when he's at a major that is aware of this, and that's the majority of everyone that's going to be there, now has a specific filter that they see infiltration through to, to a varying degree. And and socially, he's he's going to be paying his dues technically for the rest of his life through this. Um, and, uh, and, and if anything that even smells like this happens around him again, he does not have much benefit of the doubt, right? right. So uh, if if he is something of a... If those who have any kind of hesitation of letting him back, it's like he's going to be viewed, he's going to be watched closely, especially when it comes to anything that has to do with anything that's any anywhere near what's already happened, near his his uh, his problem that, that just recently transpired. It's uh, like he's, he's not... He's not going to go without any kind of punishment continued, and he's not going to go without a lot of scrutiny and a lot of, of just being watched and monitored. Yeah, and um, Infiltration is a pro gamer. This is how he makes his living. He's one of the best pro gamers in the fighting game community. Uh, he lost two years uh, equivalent of, of salary you know, from the Capcom Pro Tour. Like, There's really good money on the line that he you know, missed out on because of this. Right. Um, also he lost sponsorships. Um, I believe he lost over half of his followers on Twitter. I could be wrong about that. I didn't exactly look, I know he lost a ton of them. Um, and then as you said, um, this is a situation that's either going to follow him for the, the rest of his life or for a very long time. It's going to be hard for him to live this one down. Um, and, and, that's just kind of what it is. And so I look at this and I think that he's been pretty fairly punished on a personal level. I think he's been fairly punished uh, up until this point in time, uh, given what he's lost, given what he's had to do. Like, this is this is hard, man. I, I would not want to be on his Twitter account looking at his mentions and stuff and just seeing people call him all sorts of horrible names, getting booed and all that kind of stuff. That takes a mental toll. Um, I know pro athletes that have access to, you know, full on therapist and all that other kind of stuff. And they say, look, fans like booing you and, and jeering you and then going in on you on Twitter. That stuff hurts. I am still a human being at the end of the day. Like, yeah, I make, you know, $50 billion, whatever, playing pro sports and stuff like that. But this still hurts. I'm still a human. Right. And and so he is getting quite a hard punishment right now. Uh, and, and again, I'm not saying it's not justified, you know, but I I'm. I, I would take issue if people said like he's getting off scot-free he's getting no punishment all it's like no he's he's getting hit pretty hard I, I I think relatively for for what he's gotten and I'm not saying unfairly I'm just I think he's feeling it 
Yeah. And you said that he himself admitted to being in the wrong. Um, and as far as we can, reading through his uh, 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 interview and what happened, um, if anyone's questioning, well, what, what has he done wrong and such, and, and like there's only a bruise, it's like the answer to any of these kinds of situations is you remove yourself from the situation physically so that this kind of stuff cannot happen. Yes. And and that was, if, if nothing else, that was his sin here and, and then you know anything else that I, we don't know the specifics but i can say that infiltration in retrospect absolutely should have removed himself from the situation physically yeah there are some uh accusations from again he said she said that there were assault going on the other way uh, again we have no idea what happened there what transpired we're trying to dance around that because it's you know legal concerns but as a male in society you have to distance yourself from a female uh, when things get physical. And that is just the expectation. You cannot ever get physical with a female and not, and not have repercussions from it. You will have repercussions if you are ever physical with a female just because of our, our, ment our um, a physical strength and all this other kind of stuff. It is just the expectation in our society. Uh, you can argue the fairness or whatever and other stuff like that, but that is the way it is. And that's what you're seeing here. Uh, and you will see it in plenty of other places. Um, I'm not saying it's an absolute thing, but I am saying it is a general expectation. Uh, we have a giant male audience and whatnot. Uh, if you're ever involved in something physical, you run the hell away from the female. That is what you do. You get out of there as quickly as you can, and then you call the police and you get it sorted out from there uh you're not allowed to ever get physical ever so it will not go well it will not go well <laughs> tenno matchup every time you get out of there yep so um again i i open this up with with saying that people can feel however they want to feel right uh booze are cheers when you see infiltration again are fine like literally like look like this guy you know pissed me off to this degree i want to boo him like i don't i don't like what he did and i don't you know and that's fine like you can do that this is cfgc like this is the environment win and, and he has to expect that and be okay with that and if you're also like hey i support this guy i realize he messed up and i like redemption stories and all that kind of stuff i'm gonna cheer him that's fine too there's no right or wrong way to to react to him getting up on stage and playing again. Um, and this is uh, one of the most dominant players in fighting games. He's going to be back up there on stage, and he's going to be back up there winning tournaments. Uh, just to kind of recap, because he's been out of the picture here for a little while, um, he was outstanding at the launch uh, in 2016 of Street Fighter V. He took first place at EVO, final round, NorCal Regionals, and then second at CEO. And then in 2018, uh, before he was banned with all this stuff, he got first at final round, second at Stunfest, third at Combo Breaker, and then like a bunch of other placements that like I could just go on about. Uh, this guy is an absolute force and and that's one of the reasons talking we're talking about this this is not you know random joe you know 20 that that's not going to really be out there this is a person that's going to be very 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 prominent in our fighting game community and i think that it's important that we discuss this stuff and, and are talking about it and just trying to get more viewpoints from it and, and john and i are not sitting back here and going oh we know everything about the situation all that we're discussing it right now as a team as a website to figure out if there's any areas that we're really missing we don't want to be unfair um to to anyone in the situation we want to really look at the stuff with nuance and care and try to figure out like how we should be reacting to the stuff because not only do we speak for ourselves as individuals here um we speak for a good portion of our community with how we report on things and how we look into things so we we take this stuff very seriously. This is not something that we're, you know, we're sitting back in, and, and that's why we're heavily discussing it today. 
Mm -hmm. And I would not uh, presume or go as far as to call myself any kind of an expert on this situation, but I will say uh, when it first came out, it was our job to read as much as we could, get as much information, look at it from as many angles, and then report when we got facts. That was true last year when we were first delving into this. It's also true as this new information comes up when he does this uh, interview with uh, IGN Korea. And I can say, just standing from my personal stance, I've looked at this a lot. Um, I, 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 I have no reservation. I don't feel like it's going to be a problem. Um, and so I, I'm not gonna be booing. I'm going to be keeping a close eye but I think that everything feels okay with where it's at, given the amount of information that I personally have. Yeah, on my own personal level, how I feel is that infiltration messed up. Uh, and I don't expect the community to welcome him back with open arms. Uh, but I think if he works hard on keeping his nose clean, um, I think that most people will accept him back into the fold with time and mostly forget about this. It's not gonna be something that, you know, completely out of, you know, out of their minds, but it's like, you know what, like, yeah, you messed up, but. I can see that you're trying hard and that you care about this stuff and that you're really trying to not ever repeat this mistake ever again. And you're trying to do really good things for the community, like welcome back, you know, kind of thing. That's how I personally look at him. And I think a lot of people in the community will look at him too. Um, mm -hmm. But I will just say uh, on the people who don't like, and you're really upset with him, that's fine to do that. But I will remind you that I have yet to meet a perfect person in or out of the fighting game community. And if you are really dead set against him coming back, like think if you were in that situation yourself and if you should be given another chance to give to get things back on track. And I, I think everyone listening to this podcast um, has messed up on something in their life that was a big deal. And if it was out there publicly, they'd be like, oh, crap, you know, kind of thing. And, and again, I think all of us would be seeking forgiveness and redemption if that stuff was out there. And I think that infiltration deserves that. And I, I think that people need to keep in mind the severity of what he did and, and what he didn't do, more importantly, uh, based on some of the rumors that were out there. Uh, and there it is. So moving on here, it's it's kind of like a, a, tr a tough transition. Um, you know, we, we're going into, you know, uh, a dark subject to mostly like lighter stuff. Uh, a very quick story here. Uh, this is common around newspapers uh, around the country when those existed. <laughs> oh my goodness, there's so many gone now. But um, the uh, the editorial team would talk about the sports team and say, oh, let's go to the toy section, you know, kind of think of how light and like fluffy and stuff is. And that's usually the space we operate at here uh, on Event Hubs and in the fighting game community. It's about having fun at the end of the day. We, we play games like we, we, you know, we, we talk smack to each other, but like we talk smack about like, you know, our, our main characters being stupid or whatever. Like that's where we get like not the serious stuff, right? Um, so it's kind of hard to pick ourselves back up. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit here about um, Whaley. Um, who is a Laura player from Japan uh, who got winner's side top eight uh, at um, the Street Fighter V premiere event, uh, uh, the PPL. Um, and I think it's like Players Premier League or something like that over in China. Um, but again, very big event, a lot of great players out there. Um, and winner's side top eight with Laura. Like, that's amazing. Like, I was so looking forward to watching him play. And uh, watching him play the first day, um, it was like he was on point. Um, he was like, you know, handling everything with care and just like, you know, his attention to detail, his reactions, all that kind of stuff was beautiful. And so um, I, I'm like, you know, hey, is this guy like kind of a rival for like IDOM and stuff like that? And might we see like a Laura resurgence of, of some type, you know, like here's a, a brand new, like not brand new, but a new Laura, you know, player like emerging on people's radars. Right. So mm. he goes up against Mago and top eight winner side um, and he was awful. 
uh, he kept going for tech throws, like when he was getting, uh, you know, shimmied and frame trapped and all that kind of stuff. He was dropping easy combos, like Laura's like target combo and all that other kind of stuff. And I don't even look at this as like a choke because a choke is playing well and then nurse kicking in and destroying you at like a clutch moment. That's kind of like how I, I view like, you know, a choke type thing. This was nerves destroying this guy from the very start. Like from the very start, this guy looked like he was like, now it was a tournament wide choke. Yeah. He was doing well all up until top eight, and then once you jump into top eight, there was the choke. Oh. But it, it was much more broad than than happening within a single round, is what you're saying. Yeah, and again, I, I was really looking forward to him playing, and, and the fact that he fell on his face this hard was so disappointing to me. But I also saw this as, um, I'm not trying to put this guy on blast, but to me, it shows how much nerves can be a factor for everyone. No matter who you are, they can wreck you. This guy was doing great throughout the tournament. This is a huge, man, I would be doing backflips if I got, you know, he got fifth place at this event, right? I'd freaking be going crazy if I did that, right? But um, a really quick example here. Uh, I, I used to be really into the NFL, uh, and uh, there was a, a quarterback there, Steve Young. Uh, he won three Super Bowls. Uh, he won a Super Niners. Yeah, Super Bowl MVP award. Um, he's generally considered to be one of the best quarterbacks ever in the NFL. Not the best, but one of the best ever, right? So uh, anyway, uh, he's uh, the backup quarterback uh, is in the locker room and he heard someone throwing up in a bathroom stall before a game. And so he waited outside the stall to make sure they were OK. Like, hey, are, are, are you all right? You know, like and, and out of the stall comes Steve Young. You know, and he's like, he's like, dude, are, are you sick? Uh, what's going on? Are, are you OK? Like, we got a game in 20 minutes. Like, can you can you go? Like, can you start and play and all that kind of stuff? Uh, he's like, oh, no, man. He's like, I'm, I'm not even sick at all. He's like, it's just nerves. And, and the backup QB is like, dude, you've been in like, you're Steve Young. Like, you're an MVP. You've got all this stuff going for you and you still have nerves. And he's like, yeah, it's like, this is what it is. It's like, I, I've got hardcore anxiety problems and all that. And, and again, my point there is like, even if you are a top level, even for Daigo, I don't care who you are, nerves are still a factor for you. And, and how you mitigate that, how you get over those nerves, like just crushing you is so important. But actually, John, you're a tournament level player. Like, and I know nerves have been a thing. I, I think you infamously stood up uh, and took uh, Ken's V-Trigger 2, or a V-Trigger 2. Oh, you want to hear a nerve story? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go for it. Yeah, like give, give us a nerve story. Because I mean, again, you've still, you know, performed in tournament. You've won Wednesday Night Fights multiple times. I mean, you've been out there. Like you've done stuff like, can, can you like clue some listeners in for that? You know, Michael Tan and WoW visited right before SCR one year, and they jumped into Wednesday Night Fights, and uh, we were kind of... See, I, I played Michael Tan. I played both of them, actually, in that tournament. I ended up playing Michael Tan first. He played Ken, uh, and I was bodying him. He wasn't... And people weren't used to go Ken and zoning and, and all of that stuff, but I have him on the ropes. Like, won the first game, up around uh, in the second game, and he uh, does Ken's Ultra 2 to go through one of my fireballs, but I didn't throw the fireball. And for those that don't know, Ken's Ultra 2 sees him basically do a Tatsu at the opponent for like 20 minutes is what it feels like. Uh, and then and then he has like another 20 minutes of recovery after it whiffs. And you can duck it and it won't hit you because the hitbox is right up around your face level. So all I had to do was hold down, wait, wait for this animation to finish, or I could have just hit heavy punch and hit him during the animation. But uh, I, I sat there and this happens to me quite a bit, or at least it used to. I hope I'm. I hope these days are behind me. But when you have that much of an advantage, 
and and it's like it doesn't it doesn't make sense that you're going to win because you're not supposed to. I'm not supposed to beat Michael Tan. He's one of those untouchable Japanese guys coming over. He's gonna wreck everyone. Uh, I ended up wanting to get like the full punish, even though I didn't need more than just a single hit. So I wanted to stand up at the end of it, walk in and do a full punish to make sure that I got the full combo, leave no room for error. Well, I ended up standing into like the last freaking frame of this active ultra, got clipped by it, died. Everybody there was like, did you do that on purpose? What the hell happened? And, uh, and then he ended up taking it in beating me. I ended up beating WoW later in Losers, so there's a little redemption, but no one's gonna remember that. Tiger! <laughs> so, and, and I've done that before. It, yeah, it was on stream as well, but I, don't, I can't even find that video. Because uh, sometimes I'll watch the Michael Tan video just to keep myself humble and motivated, and then I'll look for WoW because that'll feel good and I can't even find it. Anyways, that's the Justin Wong factor a lot of times, but point of the whole thing is, yes, the nerves come up and as far as dealing with them, I think that comes more in a sense of confidence in yourself from beforehand. Because if you're going up and you're expecting I'm not supposed to be winning, at least for me in these particular situations, that was the the, the epicenter of all the problems. That was where it started with, is that I'm not supposed to be winning here. This other person is better than me. I'm not able to do this well or I shouldn't be. And then you get distracted thinking about that instead of thinking about what going on thinking about in the moment I'm doing the moment 37 parry and I have to do this super precise stuff if Daigo was thinking about anything else including what happens if I don't do this right it's not gonna work out all of the information has to be focused on what you're doing here and one of the biggest snags to that is I don't think I can do it. And then you just start thinking about how you can't do it and why you can't do it or anything else besides what you're supposed to be doing. So for me, I don't have the secret to getting over nerves, but I do know that confidence in yourself is a huge, huge factor in that. Just believing that I can do it. Not that I will necessarily, that's its own kind of conversation, but understanding and giving yourself the benefit of not the doubt, but that you can do it. And then not having to worry about that along with the other 8 million things that you could be juggling while you're playing a fighting game match in tournament on stream against someone that's really good. Right. And, and I'll add on that there's there's no replacement for experience. Um, you'll watch pro players get up on stage and whatnot, and you'll see it time and time again. It's like, oh, Justin Wong is you know in top eight. It's like, well, he's probably going to do pretty good. He's probably not going to choke it away because he's been there so many times. He knows what he's doing. Um, and just having that knowledge and kind of knowing what to fall back on, what to think about and what not to think about, right? Uh, you know, you'll you'll end up on the, the wrong end of Evo, you know, moment 37 or whatever, if you're thinking the wrong thing. And that's where Justin did it. Like, you can actually watch a video and watch Justin panic and whatnot. And he got blown up for it huge um, by being baited into doing a super where Daigo was sitting there waiting for him. Like, Daigo was just, like, sitting there tapping to forward on the controller every now and again because that is a preemptive super uh, for that where if you're not tapping forward when the super comes comes out you will you'll die you know and, and it was that's it was an amazing read on his part he knew it was coming um and there it is but but having that experience being there before doing things mm -hmm. like breathing techniques and meditation you will see tokido sit there and like you know uh, clasp his hands together and breathe and other stuff like that and if you watch this goofy guy on capcom cup or whatever uh you'll see him like pressing his fingers at, talking about myself um uh, pressing my fingers into my joystick reminding myself to stay calm and to do things and I had John watching over my shoulder as I was playing against a Kali player and he's like, you know, and he saw a moment where uh, I cracked, right? 
and he's mm-hmm. like, oh man, I hope things aren't going to go completely downhill. And then I just, I recollected myself, realized I messed up there and I came back and I won my match. And, That's and- one of the lessons that Tokido specifically uses meditation to, to, well, one to teach, but also just to overcome is that there are essentially so many things that you could be thinking about that could get your attention away from what you should be doing. And he talks about that, like when you're just trying to meditate and you're not supposed to be thinking about everything, anything, everything starts flowing through your mind. And he says that when that happens in fighting games, one of the ways that you can get shook is when something crazy happens. It doesn't go your way. Someone throws out some random move, but it ends up crush countering you when it should have been, you know, something really detrimental to them. And then you get to start thinking about that. And again, your attention is pulled away. Tokido's lesson is let that happen, acknowledge that it happened, and then let it pass. In the same way when you meditate and something comes into your mind when it's not supposed to have anything in it, you go, okay, that happened, let it pass right through, and then go back to doing what I was doing. But when you get hung up on that whatever, then you're going to lose. Exactly. Exactly. And both uh, Tokido and Daigo, players we definitely look up to, um, have said very similar things. Daigo uh, over the years has said stuff like, don't focus on winning. Because if you're focused on winning, you're thinking about like, oh, I could lose and all this other kind of stuff. You're not focusing on the match that is actually happening in front of you. You're worried about winning or losing, which, you know, like that's going to take care of itself if you play well or don't play well. Right. Um, So people might be, you know, okay, that's great. Uh, I'm never going to be up on the Capcom Cup stage or whatever. I don't have an opportunity to do this. Like, what do you guys try to tell me this stuff? Like, it's not applicable to me. Well, actually, there's ways to to, to build up your experience here and, and kind of, you know, uh, mental fortitude, if you will. Um, and, and it's a simple and fun one. Uh, let's say you have a friend that you play uh, that you normally beat regularly, right? But it's usually close. Right. And so what you could do is you can invite over a few people. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's, you know, a sibling or two or whatever to watch you guys play. And then at that moment, when you have an extra pair of eyes on you or a couple of them, there's more pressure. There's more people watching. There's more. uh, It just it increases what you have going on. Right. And depending on how you react to that, like normally, like I just said, you usually beat this person, but it's close. You might lose. And, and that is an opportunity for you to grow and to learn how to stay more calm and to get yourself in that mindset. Um, some people find, you know, putting maybe like bison bucks uh, or, or some other stuff like on that to increase the pressure will help. But just expanding your horizons and trying to simulate the ter- tournament experience as much as you can in that you know type of environment. Maybe streaming will do it for you. You know, you've got 100 people watching you, 50 people watching you. Like there's a lot of ways you can do this that will help you start to mitigate the pressure and the nerves that come with these situations. Yeah. And, and another one is just if you're playing online, depending on what your rank is and how experienced you are. But I, this is this is true for me. When someone of higher rank pops up online, I immediately have this this idea of how good they will be and how they're probably going to be better than I am. And uh, this kind of goes more into what I was saying specifically earlier about being worried about the other person. But just going online and when you when you find yourself facing someone that's a higher rank than you and you feel like you you're at disadvantage, that's a perfect place to practice this. And just to, re- to bring your focus straight back to the middle and just straight back to what you're supposed to be doing in this moment, in this potential frame trap versus block situation, in this last hit situation, just do the right things there and don't be thinking about anything else like their rank or their ability. Well said. Well said. So just it's another thing you can practice at home. And this works at any level, any fighting game. Um, most things in life actually just Staying in the right frame of mind will help you so much. And, and there it is. Okay, and now we're going to bring in Nicholas Majin Tension Hand Taylor. Uh, welcome to the show, Nick. What's, what's going on with you? 
thanks uh, for having me and uh, hello everyone. Uh, not much. Uh, we were just talking about a lot of Smash stuff the other day, and uh, it's, it seemed like a good like thing to bring up on the podcast as well. Yeah, actually, um, jumping into that, um, I wanted to read a quote here from Sakurai about how Smash DLC is basically decided. Um, and what he says here is that uh, this time the selection was made entirely by Nintendo. And I decided if we can create a fighter based on their selection. So basically to synopsis like that or synopsize, whatever the word might be, um, to create a synopsis, there we go. Uh, that would be Nintendo brings Sakurai a list and he decides uh, like, hey, this is like what I can do or what I can't do. And in your opinion, Nick, is there any chance that like that system, like how likely is it that that system you think is staying in place for future DLC. I already thought it was incredibly likely, but we basically got it confirmed now as well because uh, Sakurai does a column I think once a month or something, and there's this guy called Push Push Dustin on Twitter who translates it uh, from the magazine every time, and he actually tweeted out that the DLC process is the same for the upcoming DLC because Sakurai said that in the latest column. All right, there we go. So, like, what does that lead you to kind of believe about the selection process? Like, what kind of characters do you think Nintendo might put on there or not put on there kind of based on uh, what you think they're looking for? I mean, it's really hard to say because we started off this DLC wave with Joker from Persona. Uh, Persona 5 is not on a Nintendo system. Everyone was thinking, oh, we're going to get a port of, like, the new Persona 5 Royal that's going to come to Switch, but it didn't, or at least doesn't look like it's going to they made some like weird persona muso spin-off for switch that nobody really asked for uh but uh, yeah so i don't think nintendo have ever been that big on like with third parties i don't think they're that big on promoting stuff that will necessarily help them i think they're looking at audiences that might not be buying smash to begin with so they're looking to expand because that was kind of the st- like, the first third-party character was Snake in Brawl, right? Mm-hmm. And I really think Snake was, like, an attempt to grab the Sony players. It really felt that way. And especially now, the further we get, if you look at the Nintendo picks for every Smash game, they're very often marketing picks. I mean, basically every Fire Emblem inclusion is a marketing pick, honestly. And then you look at the third parties, which really aren't that, aren't like that at all. Because why would you be marketing Banjo Kazooie? They haven't had a year for uh, have had a game for over ten years. Right, and I think that the big reason how come Banjo Kazooie got into the game is that uh, Nintendo and Microsoft have gotten very cozy with their relationship, and you know, getting into the whole streaming deals of this next generation console cycle that's coming through it's going to be less important than it ever has been like what what platform you're you're playing on like it doesn't really matter as much anymore because you're a lot of people are banking on the whole streaming it are like you know just buy our software basically you know people lose money um on hardware except for nintendo i think like nintendo infamously like like requires a profit on all their hardware or something something like that basically um and so it's it's interesting. It's it, it, they're very forward thinking right now. I think I think Banjo Kazooie is a bit of that sign. But but how do you feel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've definitely seen Nintendo and Microsoft cozy up to each other for a very long time now. Uh, perhaps the most notable was uh, when Minecraft came to Switch, and I think like it had crossplay with Xbox One even, or something mm-hmm. like that which was really interesting. And I mean, even back then, everyone was like, oh yeah, Banjo has a good shot for Smash now. And and they were right on the money, obviously. 
but I think like it's it's very hard to say what Nintendo would do. What I think we can rule out, on the other hand, is these super wacky picks that we've been seeing from Sakurai himself. Because for all the Smash games, Sakurai has mostly been in charge of the roster. There are some exceptions, like the Pokemon company had a similar approach to what Nintendo had with him now, where they would present him with a bunch of Pokemon, and he could pick one. Mm. Uh, but overall, Sakurai has been the guy who makes the main decisions for... Uh, well, Sakurai and his team, I should say, uh, that make the main decisions for what characters to include, which has led to crazy stuff like Rob and Wii Fit Trainer, Mr. Game & Watch, all these really off-the-wall picks that nobody would ever be expecting under normal circumstances. Piranha Plant falls into that category as well. And these are picks where when you look at them, it like after the fact, they do make sense because these are like iconic parts of Nintendo history and whatnot. But you wouldn't think of them as good candidates for smash before you actually saw them in smash gotcha now speaking of characters like that i personally have a beef with with gino and from super mario rpg i don't understand how come he's so popular and we've been looking at poll results and other things like that what do you think about this character like like how does he jump out to you as a candidate and and do you think he's gonna actually make his way into the game i don't understand his popularity either at all and everyone keeps bringing him up as if like well, Super Mario RPG was very successful, so that's why Gino should be in. But Gino isn't the main character of Super Mario RPG. Right. So that make, that that doesn't make that much sense to me. Plus, Super Mario RPG wasn't that successful. We had never got a sequel. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was, a, it was a decently popular game. And obviously, a lot of people who played it in their childhood have fond memories of it. And I'm sure... I mean, obviously, Gino has a strong fan base. There's no denying that, right? Mm-hmm. But... There is zero incentive for Nintendo or Square to want to push the character because he hasn't been in a game for over 20 years at this point. And he only ever had one appearance. He wasn't the main character. So neither Nintendo nor Square have any like incentive to want to push the character. That like Gino is kind of the epitome of a weird Sakurai pick. Mm-hmm. But if Sakurai isn't the one pulling the strings this time around, I think that like really torpedoes his chances. I wouldn't say they're zero, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, they definitely went way down. So, as Gino being a puppet character and pulling the strings was that was that a under the you know radar joke or, or you know, it, it was anyway. not it was not remotely intended. I forgot <laughs> okay. he was a puppet. <laughs> um, but anyway, I will mention that with Super Mario RPG, Paper Mario actually is considered a spiritual successor to that game. It's a little bit of a stretch, but that is what they do say out there. Um, so, uh, but like you, I just I, I see it as such a remote possibility. But it's like the ultimate like fan uh, Sakurai like kind of pick. Like you would not expect that character to make it yet. You can't entirely ruled out because that's what he does right like he does this off the wall kind of stuff that it makes sense once you see the character in the game and it's like really cool at that point yeah um, uh let me jump in there as well uh you have paper mario and you also have the mario and luigi superstar saga series both of these are rpgs with mario characters and both of them have been somewhat seen as spiritual successors to super mario rpg gino isn't in any of them right that's also very notable to bring up. Uh, Gino does have a cameo in the first Superstar Saga, but he doesn't like say anything. He doesn't do anything. He's just a puppet in a room. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's I, I don't understand people's fascination with it, but I didn't understand King K. Rule and you guys all came on the podcast and explained it to me. I still don't get it. You know, I'm still like, why not Dixie Kong, yeah, but right? He at least has a damn presence in the game. Like you remember King K. Rule for some specific examples. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. But Gino, it's like, well, he was just there as a puppet once and and sure maybe people kinda liked him, but yeah, it it's weird. I think it's one of those kind of situations where someone said something charismatically once and a couple other people went, yeah, and it was almost maybe even ironic or something along those lines, but it kept getting momentum and it became this thing. And maybe that's not the case at all. No disrespect to those that truly love Gino, but how the hell, like, like, it, like you guys are getting at, it doesn't add up. Like there shouldn't technically be this charisma for the character and yet there is yeah it's a super random pick but at the same time when he has that many fans i could see them wanting to appease those fans as for king k rule like you were saying raptor i mean he has a gigantic presence he's the main villain for the donkey kong country trilogy and donkey kong 64 they even had a cartoon show with donkey kong when i was a kid with king k rule in every episode i mean i i whether you get it or not, he's one of the most iconic villains and one of Nintendo's most successful franchises. And I mean, look at the sales of any Donkey Kong Country game and it blows Mario RPG out of the water. And that, mm. we're talking the main villain of that series against the side character from one game. You know, I really want to argue that point, but it was too damn good and I'm going to have to hold that L. I really don't have a good rebuttal of <laughs> that. That's a really good point. So uh, moving along then, since I was very wrong about that, uh, I want to talk about Ninja Gaiden's main character, Ryu. Um, not the Ryu from Street Fighter here. This is Ninja Gaiden. Um, this is a cult classic game like speedrunners love this game it is brutal difficulty on the nes uh the arcade port of this game was like a beat-em-up kind of like a final fight you know type game uh but the nes version was a very different like film noir cinematic stuff like it was an epic game for the nes but what a lot of people don't know is that the popularity in terms of sales didn't quite add up to that. Like, Nick, I, I know you follow this pretty closely. Um, you and I are both, you know, big fans of, of Ninja Gaiden uh, speedrunning and also, you know, Castlevania, which I think this game kind of fits into that same type of mold. But can you elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners? Sure. Um, when you look back at retro gaming in particular, there are a lot of games that people just kind of assume that everyone played. And then there are the games that everyone did play. So I would say the latter category you have for, the, for America... You have Duck Hunt, because Duck Hunt was a packing game, so it sold around 30 million copies. So basically everyone did play Duck Hunt, right? Mm -hmm. Then you look at a game like Castlevania or Ninja Gaiden, where I think it's more the case of it sold all right across the world. I think both Castlevania and Ninja Gaiden were around 1 million for like their main games, which is a good number. But when you compare it to Mario Brothers, which was 40 million, it really pales in comparison and these kinds of games are probably games that a lot of people didn't necessarily buy but they experienced at their friends houses which is great but that's not gonna give the company any idea of it being a big ip right because you're not actually getting any money from someone going to the friend's house and just looking at the game so I think there's this notion that Ninja Gaiden is much bigger than it was. That's not to say it's minor, because it is a franchise that has continued to this day. It's been a while now, but we did have a, a significant resurgence in 3D with Ninja Gaiden on, I think it was on the PS3, 
No, it was on the Xbox, the original Xbox, the first one. And then they did like new versions. I did Ninja Gaiden 2, which I had on the 360, and then Ninja Gaiden 3, which wasn't quite as well received. And you also have the character Ryu, who mm, probably to differentiate him from Street Fighter's Ryu, nowadays goes more by Hayabusa. Because that's right. his full name, Ryu Hayabusa. You see him in... He's the same character in Dead or Alive, right? Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. You see him in Dead or Alive every iteration. So he's definitely a character that's still around. And if you're looking at the company Tecmo Koei, that would be their biggest character, right? I mean, I can't really see anyone arguing that point. Right. It, it just it just goes back to the point of, like, I as much as, like, as beloved as Castlevania is, like, I don't know how many games in the series, like, even sold over a million copies. The and, only um, one I'm fully sure of, actually, there are two I'm fully sure of sold over a million. It's Symphony of the Night and, uh, oh, what's it called? Lords of Shadow, which a lot of people don't even consider go. to be a proper Castlevania game. Yeah, and, and and so people look back at these games as like, and they're they're huge cult classics now, especially in the speedrunning community. Um, but he, and I mean, they had a following back then, but the sales were just never there. Um, and and I think we'll get into it here a little bit later. But John, it sounds like you want to jump in, maybe about some Ca- Castlevania three anecdotes or something like that. <laughs> Oh, I, I wasn't going to, oh. no, but uh, but I can. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, we'll we'll do a little aside here. Um, so. I'll tell everyone the circus. I mean, we've got Nick right here. So, you know, why not? Why not do this all? Um, so way back when we were talking about like, you know, really difficult games and um, uh, I asked Nick, I'm like, hey, you know, what do you think of Castlevania 3? And he's like, that game's not even that hard. You know, so we went and looked it up on uh, on GameFAQs, like how long it takes to beat it and like, you know, how many people think it's difficult and all that. And uh, I gave Nicholas eight or seven hours, seven hours to beat the game. Seven I gave hours. you eight. Yeah, you would have you got it. Uh, but it came super close. He streamed it for everyone and he was getting all salty about the stairs, like the freaking stairs. Uh, that would be a bleep <laughs> in there. But like, yeah, why did they, you know, and like, and just kind of go crazy about it. So uh, John Velociraptor here watched Nick playing the game and he's like dude he's like what, what's, what's nick having so much trouble with i can murder no this i did not say it like that okay, and well, i, and I, ahead, I understand that you and steven <laughs> took it that way after i had said all this and it was not at all a slight to nick let me tell you what's up i watched nick playing the very end of it i, I watched him for maybe 25 minutes or so while also working um don't tell my boss uh, but uh, we watched him for, for somewhere in the middle, and then, but mostly I watched him for probably about half an hour as he was trying to fight Dracula at the end. Um, and there were those, I didn't know what you guys meant by the stairs are crazy. What they meant was the stair physics in this game uh, really mess with everything else you're trying to do. So the stairs in and of themselves, just because of the way your character like gets on them and gets off of them and, and has, that's what's crazy. But at the yeah. end, there's like this part where the stairs literally just jump away from you. It's like a fake trap and you have to remember that that's there. Otherwise it costs you a life like just before you get to Dracula. I thought that's what you were talking about. Anyways, I saw that. I saw Nick playing Dracula and and the, it was very clear that the fatigue of playing this game for seven hours straight was setting in because he was like, obviously there's there's certain amounts of patterns and such. And I was like, oh man, you, you can figure this out. And he was right there. And me with my fresh pair of eyes, I'm like, I could figure this. I, I've seen him do it like four or five times now. I know how to do it. And he just wasn't getting it and I was sad. Oh yeah, um, uh, I to jump in there and say, uh, you didn't say, oh, I could do it. You said, I can. No, 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 I'm getting there. Oh, okay, okay. I'm getting oh, there. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, also another thing, I've been using the term murder a lot. I use it when I play board games recently. I use it when I play Street Fighter. It's just been part of my vocabulary. I said to you guys in text, I'm like, I think I could murder that game. And that came across, understandably so, as, oh, I'm just going to absolutely destroy it. Sure. <laughs> that's not how what, I, what I meant, but I was just, that's the word choice that I used. Uh, and this was all over text, so you know that whole 
you know, context and, and subtext, I should say, is uh, hard to come by. But the, from that, we decided to do a, a challenge where the group, the group said, uh, I don't think you can beat this game in five hours, I think you initially gave me. We ended up upping that to seven. Um, and I've never played a Castlevania game, let alone Castlevania 3, but I downloaded it uh, and, and got the stream set up and tried to play through it. Did not make it. Uh, and, uh, and it was... It, it was so as much crap uh, as on, I would on, give let, to... Let me back up there, John. Why don't you tell our listeners how far you made it in the game after we give you eight hours? Uh, I made it to level nine, and then I quit at about seven and a half hours. Yeah. And, uh, didn't you make it to level eight? Did you actually make it to level nine? Yeah, I was on level nine. Oh, okay. I, did, I didn't see the end, so I don't know. But okay. I yeah. want to take this moment to point out that I was two hits away from killing Dracula. <laughs> yeah, and again, I didn't mean this to If I had seven hours and five minutes, I would have made it. I didn't mean this to ever be. Yeah, you could you could have beat it way before that. It was just yeah. like that fatigue. Going back and thinking about like I was getting hung up on these stupid little guys that were that were much easier than a boss, and I was still getting hit by them because you do it for so long and your your abilities start to wane. You have to walk away from it for a little while and come back and refresh. So, yeah. Anyways, I, I want to tell our never... listeners actually a little bit more on that. So uh, we let Nick know. Uh, you know, that, that John was streaming, of course, put it all over chat. We, we retweeted it and stuff like that. And then we also mentioned that, like, hey, uh, when John was watching you stream, that's when he said, hey, I could murder this game. So, no, I said that the other day. Well, whatever. Anyway, that I, this is, let, me, let me have my moment, damn it. <laughs> it's more fun for a comedic effect in the story and all that kind of stuff. So Nick jumps into chat, and John has died on these, like, dust bunny things that spin around platforms and oh, whatnot. Yeah. And he writes into chat, and I love this moment. He's like, dear diary... Why am I so free to dust buddies? <laughs> it was just <laughs> epic. And I'm like, dude, like Nick has upped the difficulty of this game from like a 10 to a 12 out of 10 kind of thing. It's like, he is just like, because John kept checking the chat too. He's like, I got to stop checking the chat. I'm like, get him, Nick. I'm like, sick him. Like, he can't, like, there's no way he could beat Castlevania 3 plus Nick. Like, okay, but, but let's be honest. <laughs> the most of what I wrote was supportive. And yes, I yeah. did help him out. But I did troll him every time he did something really stupid. Yeah. So, one, I'm going to do it again on Saturday because oh, really? I'm getting back on the horse. Yeah. And I'll stream it and everything so you guys can watch. Um, I, I, have, I haven't played through the whole thing. I've played through the first couple levels a few times, but I haven't had enough time to, like, really dredge through the whole game so um and and, and i think that's fine too because i kind of want to just pick up where i was i don't want to have a whole bunch of like well now i know how to do it it's going to be really easy yeah um and and the other thing that i i have to say because i'm super salty about it is that in the uh it's in level six there's a there's a there's a sequence where you're in this water area and there are these um mermen monsters that swim in the water pop out shoot fireballs go back in and swim through well when they're in the water you can see their silhouettes but my game was glitching out so where initially i could and then after i died a few times i came back in and they were completely gone so not only was it castlevania 3 and nick in the chat it was also invisible bad guys and that was the level that i got hung up on for like two and a half hours and i think a wide part of that because i didn't think on any other level for two and a half hours um, was because of that. So I'm not saying that I would have beat it otherwise. I'm just saying that was what demoralized me. And then we got to level nine and there's another part where it has that and it was also glitching. And I was like, this isn't fun anymore. Like I, I got super demoralized. So take my L going into this weekend coming up. I'm going to do it again and, uh, and hope for the best. And Dracula, I'm coming for you. I'm yeah, just going to quote is. Reggie and say no Johns. 
<laughs> hmm. Nice. <laughs> Anyways, Smash Bros. Yeah. Well, uh, no, was, sorry, just... sorry. One more thing on Castlevania okay. that needs to be said. There are several routes in Castlevania Three you can go through, and uh, one of the rules we had, I think Raptor probably had the same rule, was not looking anything up before playing the game for our mm-hmm. challenges. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I've cleared Castlevania Three before, but it was many years ago. Oh, so, so you played remember. the game before you did your, your of course, before you did your run on. Of stream? course, I did. I already beat it. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing: I took the hard route by mistake, and you took the easy route by mistake, and that is something the listeners need to know. Yeah, I think the the listeners should also know that I had never touched a Castlevania game before, and you'd beaten this game. Oh, they they know if they watched you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just want to say that this has been going throughout our entire team. Um, and uh, you guys can hear that energy and passion in her voice. Like I, I put 60 bucks on the line. Like if either guy beat the game in the time I allotted them, they got 60 bucks uh, and they had to put down nothing except for their time. Right. And that's how we set this up. And this has been like on, this has been going on for like 10 months now or something like that. Like Nick and I actually had this discussion, I think like two years ago, um, but he just, you know, got the opportunity to get his stream equipment like back set up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So it took us a little bit to follow through on it. Um, But my point here is even with this, this long, you know, aside here is that even these games that strike a huge amount of passion and energy for us, that doesn't mean they were great for sales. And I just wanted to use this actually as a a great example of that. Like, I mean, you sometimes see this stuff and you go, oh, like, you know, this has got to be crazy. But then you look at the business aspect of things and you go, oh, wow, that doesn't really add up. And I can see why Nintendo or Sakurai or whoever, like, might not be that interested in adding, you know, this franchise into their game. Um, And there it is. I was honestly surprised they added Castlevania. I always wanted Castlevania and Smash, but I was super surprised and super happy. And they did say in an interview later on that one of their main reasons for adding Castlevania was because of how famous and celebrated the music is. And all the composers were like, they were really like chomping at the bit to get a chance to make their arrangements of Castlevania music. So that was a big factor in why they added it, which is obviously understandable because the music is probably the most famous part of Castlevania. Yeah, and it was really good when I was playing through it. Another thing, though, when it comes to like, well, why did you pick someone like Banjo-Kazooie over over others that seem like they could be much more fruitful? When you have more than 70 characters and you are the massive entity that Nintendo and Smash has become, I think you can also take some losses knowing that it's going to be in good faith. You're going to make a, a smaller portion of people really happy. And it, maybe you don't, maybe, maybe they don't end up plus because of Banjo or something like that, although it seems like they are because everyone loves this thing but maybe maybe there's a lot more hype than there is actual money coming in you can take those losses and still look good in front of like every single group of people that you're like trying to get to as you're expanding it out and getting more and more of the gaming community so i don't think that that uh just because someone is not going to be potentially as financially viable takes them off of the table for a game like smash ultimate because they're so big they can write a few checks in in order to uh to play the long game yeah absolutely I think all of the DLC sells really well just on the virtue of being DLC for such a big game. And if we're looking at characters that aren't actually that big, I'd say the main candidates are... Well, number one is Bayonetta. I mean, I love those games, mm-hmm. but Bayonetta is definitely the smallest third party in Smash. And honestly, as much as I love the dude, he's my absolute favorite fighting game character of all time. Terry Bogard, he, his presence as a character is bigger than his actual franchise's have probably been because yes. SNK isn't that big of a company. Uh, I mean, for fighting gamers, they are, but like in general. And uh, I mean, yeah, he's 
he's a big gaming character, but when you stand like next to the hero from Dragon Quest or you know Snake or Sonic, he just doesn't measure up. I guess Joker from Persona would probably fall into that category as well, though. So, Nick, do, do any characters really jump out at you like right now in terms of like? I, I don't know if they're going to make it, but, like, I bet you Sakurai is, like, looking in this direction or Nintendo is looking. Like, is there anyone that really jumps out to you as, like, a very likely candidate right now? Resident Evil. I wouldn't okay. be sure of exactly which character, but the horror genre is one of the few genres that isn't yet in Smash. And Resident Evil is actually Capcom's number one biggest franchise. So we mm -hmm. have Mega Man, Street Fighter. We even have Monster Hunter in the game via the boss character Rafalos. But you don't have the number one game from Capcom, which is super weird. I mean, imagine if someone was doing a crossover where Nintendo was the guest, and they would bring in Zelda, Kirby, Donkey Kong, but not Mario. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be super weird? Yeah, no, no dice there. You could not do that. So Yeah, hmm. and that that's why I really feel like Resident Evil is approaching at this point. But, I mean, there are some hurdles. Obviously, they like Resident Evil characters don't do that exciting... Like, their actual abilities aren't that exciting, right? Mm -hmm. You would probably end up with someone relatively similar to Snake, I guess. Um, and there's also, like, the realistic weaponry was kind of a no-no before, but after Bayonetta started having guns, I think maybe it's more okay now. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and well, Snake had, like, rocket has rocket launchers and grenades and stuff, right? Yes, but they wouldn't let him have knives or guns. They would only let him have explosives. That was kind of the thing back in Brawl. Uh, it was like they, they explicitly said it in interviews like that. Well, they had it totally, to do that. it totally makes sense. You could shoot someone, uh, and that's just t totally hor horrible, right? But if you blow them up and destroy them and put them to little pieces, that's fine. Yeah, of course. Just yeah. T rated. Uh, w welcome to like general censorship practices. They never right. make sense. But yeah, so I, I think Resident Evil is probably next on the docket, but it's also hard to say. I mean, some people would argue that, oh, but we already have free Capcom characters playable. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, sure, that is a decent point. They are uh, them and Sega are the most represented right now because Sega has Sonic, Bayonetta and uh, Joker. Nobody really thinks of Bayonetta or Joker as uh, Sega characters, but they're both owned by Sega. So mm -hmm. uh, but if you look at like other third parties, Nintendo have never been going for any sort of parity between them. You have Bandai Namco have been helping them out with Smash 4 and with Ultimate and they still just have Pac-Man. Even right. though they have a ton of big franchises, so yeah, why not a Tekken character? Yeah, you yeah, think you could Hayachi uh, uh, or Jin or something like that. You would think would come into the game. I think if they were to add a Tekken character, the most likely character would be Jin, simply because it's very hard to imagine a recovery for a Tekken character that doesn't look really goofy, unless you have Jin who can go to his Devil Jin form. Oh, okay. That makes a so lot that of sense. that's like my main because Jin, Kazuya, Heihachi—they're kind of equal in how likely they would be, and Kazuya also has his devil form. Kind of, I mean, he does, but I would say Jin is more recognizable for Tekken with the younger audience because he's been the main character since free. So yeah, I I would pick Jin in that case, but you never know. I mean, I don't think Tekken is going to be a high priority right now, especially not after Terry got in. It just doesn't feel like that's the way the winds are blowing. And I've been a proponent for Tales, uh, the RPG series, which is also Namco owned. But, you know, who knows? It's super hard to call, especially at this point, because they're just going everywhere with this. 
But yeah, I, I, I've actually been hearing some some rumors of Dante from Devil May Cry too, and with Smash rumors, there's all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, but I agree with you that I would think Resident Evil would be even better, and then they could do something like they do with. Um, um, I think it was Jill in Marvel 2 who had like zombies she could like throw at you, right? Yeah. And uh, Chris actually had those in uh, Marvel 3 as well. He could, I think he could throw zombies at you, right? No, you're, you're thinking of Frank West. Frank West, my bad. Yeah, I got my wires crossed there. But uh, anyway, the, the tech is there. I think that's kind of like how you would add that character in and make him pretty fun. Uh, and it works. You know, it worked pretty well in Marvel. So, so there it is. Yeah, sure. Jill had a zombie in MVC 2, right? Where she can yeah. make one appear yeah. and like, walk towards you. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah she then did. they completely like changed her and made her like a rush down, like wild move, crazy character who had some like unbelievable tech that we never found that like Capcom nerfed and got rid of or something. But yeah, uh, anyway, um, but moving along tech. here, um, we, we've got the Tokyo Game Show coming up, Nick. Uh, like, what are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, this is again for people who don't know. This is like the uh, Japanese equivalent of E3, so a gigantic expo over there. Uh, we usually have some great announcements for fighting games. Uh, Nick, what are you hearing? Are we talking just fighting games or just anything in general that I'm interested in? Mostly fighting games, yeah. 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 So uh, we know that Guilty Gear 2020 and Grand Blue Fantasy Versus are going to be there. Those are confirmed, 100%. So I'm definitely excited for Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. I played the beta back in June, I think it was, and it was insanely fun. I don't know if the main game will be as fun for me, but I had a very good time with the beta. So I'm definitely looking forward to, I'm guessing we're getting another character reveal here. Uh, I think they said they have three more characters before launch, and launch is in February. So yeah, timeline-wise, it makes sense. Uh, For Guilty Gear 2020, I honestly have no idea what to expect. I mean, I'm a big Guilty Gear fan. We saw the reveal trailer at EVO. They showed very little. I would assume they're probably going to give us like a glimpse at a few more expected characters. You know, characters that are pretty much always there. I would guess like Chip, maybe May um sato something like that so we'd like get to see brief views of their new designs depending on how much they changed because sol and kai got some slight makeovers but nothing gigantic and i think that's probably what we're going to see overall maybe they'll share some new details on that new character we saw uh there was this really badass guy towards the end of the trailer seemed like a samurai kind of uh i'm not sure but yeah, uh, I think uh, those are the two main games since they actually announced beforehand that we're going to be seeing them. Outside of that, we have the gigantic Street Fighter tournament, uh, which is, I, I don't know if the official terminology is Super Premier, but the like tier above Premier, they're only it's three the entire year. Yeah. yeah. So that, uh, we had Evo, that was the first one like that, and this is the second one. And then the third one is the NA Finals um, in November, I think. The Red yep. Bull something. Yes. They, they change the name every year. It's the Red Bull something every mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah, so that's going to be huge. I know there are 1,000 players signed up. Uh, obviously, like anyone who competes in Japan is going to be there. I know there are a ton of people who have traveled internationally. I know Alex Myers is there. Uh, last weekend, we saw in China, uh, Crossover and Kaba. We're there, presumably because they're going to Japan right after. Men RD was already in Japan. He skipped China, but he's going to be uh, for this one. Um, I know Metal Queer Solid from Europe is going, so I would assume like at least 20 other players from Europe are also going. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are going to be an absolute ton of people competing, and 
it would make sense for Capcom to show something here, but at the same time, they just show the Halloween costumes. And we know, like, the bigger announcements were, they said October and November, was it? Uh, November, December. November and December. So I don't think we'll see a new character. They already just showed costumes. I think they might have more costumes or something like that in store. Possibly, you know, we don't really know. We just got this uh, huge announcement about, like, uh, it being part of the Olympics. So maybe some more details on that. You know, something. Because it's yeah. such a big event. And real quick, just to recap that, actually, for our listeners who haven't heard that yet. Uh, it is a quarter of a million dollars that's going to be on the line. Uh, there are online qualifiers to get into this. It's a really big deal. Uh, it's wonderful to see. I believe it's it's partnered up with um, Rocket League. And, yeah, uh, and that yeah. quarter mil... Oh, no, you're right. The quarter It's a half mil goes to both, so you're right, yeah. quarter mil. Yeah, so a huge prize pool. Um, it looks to be very serious, very legit. Capcom's quite excited about it. Oh, no, I think said, like, I, I, I can stop losing sleep or something like that uh, over this because, you know, the announcement's finally out there. Uh, really big deal. So, I mean, there's a lot coming here. And, you know, John and I often talk about on the podcast here how involved uh, Capcom wants to be in the esports movement. This is a sign of that. This is like where their company is trying to head. And they're trying to make esports just like this huge part of what they do. Uh, and, you know, again, here's part of it. So, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Nicholas, I think TGS will have a lot of that stuff. And I also think uh, we might see some surprise stuff at TGS because a lot of companies go there. Bandai Namco are going to be there. You know, there might be something for Dragon Ball Fighters there, you know, possibly, maybe. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't been announced beforehand. So, anyone who's interested in fighting games or any games really should keep their eyes open during this entire week because it officially starts tomorrow, I believe. And then it goes on until Sunday. Uh, we already saw a Final Fantasy VII remake trailer come out today. So, they're already like prepping the stuff. They're shooting it out so yeah just stay tuned perfect nicholas thank you so much for joining us and uh and we're gonna catch up with you soon keep getting those top eights man we expect it now like you you <laughs> can't get by without getting top eights you have to get them now um but uh but thank you again so much for joining us uh thanks a lot for having me and uh i hope everyone uh, tunes into ultimate fighting arena in paris uh first weekend of october i'm gonna be there i'll be participating in street fighter 5 samurai showdown tekken 7 uh, I'm hopefully also commentating Street Fighter V if the schedule allows, so uh, look forward to that. And also, I'm going to quick give a quick shout out to my stream. I play hard games there all the time. You can see some Castlevania, you can see whatever. Uh, please tune in. Thank you. So one other thing that I wanted to get into in the uh, kind of leveling up, I, I, I've been getting some responses from people on Twitter and such that saying like, really, we really appreciate it when you guys talk about how to just kind of buff my gameplay generally. And earlier, of course, we spoke about keeping your focus and, and meditation and, and uh, mitigating nerves, things like that. Uh, but just one little tip that I've been specifically practicing this week uh, is blocking. It's like, well, duh, that's like before fighting games 101. You're right, but you're also wrong. And here's the thing. I grew up in the Street Fighter 4 competitive era, as far as my fighting game career is concerned. And in that game, you always have in Street Fighter that rock, paper, scissors of like strike, block, frame trap, and then, you know, maybe like walk away, stuff like that. But there's there's that situation that comes up very consistently throughout your career um, in virtually every round. And you have to make that decision of like, what are you going to do there? And in Street Fighter 4, I think there's a lot of people that uh, are in the same boat as me because of the boom that Street Fighter 4 brought in and kept, you know, so so a lot of people came and started playing with Street Fighter 4. It was their first experience, and now they're on to Street Fighter 5 or whatever. 
and you had a little bit of a bonus option in that game because you could crouch tech and that essentially covered like two of your options at one time. Uh, you could you could tech a throw, but also if they sat and did nothing, you would go on the offense. And so it was a very alluring uh, option to go to. And now you go into Street Fighter V with the habit of teching most of the time, and there are a couple of different options that beat you in both the shimmy, the frame trap. It's not the most fruitful thing to do consistently. And in fact, most of the time, you actually would rather take the throw than being hit with a frame trap or, or, or a shimmy or anything along those lines, because the punishment is much worse there. Throws, not very bad because, hey, there, there are no longer throw loops. Uh, so they're not going to get oaky. They're going to get, what, 100 and 120 damage or whatever, depending on what the throw is. It's not the worst situation. And yet, here I find myself still trying to avoid getting thrown way too much. Now, this, of course, doesn't really apply when you're talking about really high stun or end-of-the-round situations where a throw is going to stun or kill you because then it's just as scary as everything else. But most of the time, I going back and watching replays or just noting it as the rounds are progressing, man, I'm pushing way too many buttons when I'm on defense, and if I just chill things will go so much better. And it's one thing to understand that, it's a whole other thing to be able to do it because I have been in the middle of rounds and then I identify, okay, I just got knocked down, I'm gonna have to deal with this rushdown pressure right now, I'm just gonna chill. And even though my brain's saying that I'm just gonna block, I don't care if I get thrown, whatever, eventually I find myself pressing buttons because it's so hardwired into my fingers. So it's, it's a process, man, it's a process. And as simple as, yeah, just block, is, man, I'm sitting here preaching it to myself in the moment and still not doing it. So it's something that's hard to get over. And maybe I'm not the average person. Maybe people are better at better at it than me. It, it is but... a constant problem in Street Fighter V. It's why shimmies are so effective in this game. Yeah. It is a problem for, it is hardwired into the fighting game community that someone's up in your face and they're pressuring you. I need to do something. That is, it is we fundamentally learn that at a very young age, basically. So. Exactly, exactly. It gets hardwired in, and it's something that is a problem uh, for a lot of people. So abandon the idea of winning, as we talked about with Daigo earlier, and just focus on exploring what it is to block. Because what's going to help you, or well, what's helped me more than anything, I know. I just laid out why it's a good call to just block. I know that. But I have not felt that until I successfully just sit there through like Laura V trigger pressure or Urian Aegis pressure and I just block and I never tech and hey, sometimes it works out and you weather the storm and they push themselves far enough back that you didn't take any damage, just some chip and then you're out and you've successfully done that. The feeling of reward there is the biggest motivator. And once you've unlocked that, that's gonna help your fingers to start to do what you want them to do in these high pressure situations, these intense situations. So um, don't worry about winning the rounds, playing casual so you're not risking points that are extremely important, we all know they are. Uh, just sit there and and force yourself to block. Feel what it feels like to successfully do it. And sometimes you're gonna get thrown, that's fine. Sometimes you're gonna lose because the right answer was, well, I should have jabbed because they kept walking up and, and you know re, re, um, resuming that space. But the, once you have this, once you have this specific tool, the ability to be patient and just weather a storm, that is going to help you level up. You're sitting there in silver, bronze, gold, platinum, doesn't matter. This, this helps people at Grandmaster and above rank. 
okay? Uh, I, I learned this more thoroughly recently, and I'm at Grandmaster 60-something 60 60 something thousand or other points. Uh, it, it applies, and it will help you immensely. Who cares if you get thrown? Get rid of that fear. And then once you're more used to being able to block, it's a situation where you go, okay, now I understand the rules, I can break them. You have a better idea of when to interrupt, and not only will your blocking become more efficient, so will your interrupts, so will your decisions to jump away, so will your wake-up DPs. But start there. Just force yourself to block. Who cares if you win? Do it. Get used to it. And uh, it'll really help you level up. There it is. And, and I, I want to throw this back at you now. And, and this is why I take some issue with Street Fighter 4, because you didn't have to think about this stuff. As Crushes. you mentioned, yeah. it would do the uh, the option select crouch you know, thing. And it's like, well, the game thinks for me. I don't have to think about it. And that's where I took so much issue with that game. And, and again, Street Fighter 5 has really taken the training wheels off. As much as people call it a more basic game or whatever, in some respects, sure. In some respects, hell no. They've taken everything and said you're going to deal with this now you may not like to deal with this you have learned to code over the years that code started with street fighter 3 i believe um maybe even in alpha 3 they had it but for sure i know for street fighter 3 they had the option select uh, crouch select you know thing um and we've been doing that for you know decades right and it's like well now you don't get that crutch anymore and people didn't like it they're like i like that crutch i like not having to think about this stuff and it's like okay well you can also get better by thinking about this, you can become a more complete player and you see people like Tokido, like Daigo, like Mana RD, uh, name all the top players out there who do not usually get blown up in pools and get you know pretty far in tournament. They have figured out this stuff. They understand this stuff on a very fundamental level and, and the people complaining about it usually are the haters getting left behind. Right. Anyway, <laughs> I, I do um, have to say I, I, I owe a lot to the crouch tech option select because that was basically where the velociraptor special came from right. because when people did that i goken has a low counter and you can low counter into super if you have full meter and so when you crouch tech if the person hasn't thrown a button comes out and so i just do tick tick and then low parry and that was where the um the velociraptor special came from so shout outs to crouch teching yeah, yeah, it, it was actually, uh, I don't know if Brittany knows this or not, but um, back in the day, John said that he was going to name his first kid um, uh, Crouch Crouch into Super or something like that. I or, said that. Uh, Counter into Super. <laughs> that was, that was going to be their name. What? Male or female, didn't matter. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm holding you to that just so you know. But, I mean, yeah. John from a few years ago was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that ties into our next subject of all things, but uh, I, I had a listener. I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, but he, um, he, he contacted me, and hopefully I'm getting his name right, but uh, Kassan Hermura, I believe his name is. Um, but he contacted us, and he actually is having some difficulty with uh, being a dad in the FGC and kind of juggling his own life and trying to make all this kind of stuff work. Uh, that's actually something I have experience with. Um, so he notes that he's heavily into fighting games in general, uh, you know, but being a working dad on top of everything, uh, he's struggling since you know his child was born. Um, and it's hard. Like, it's hard to, to have a, a balance between work, home, and hobbies. Um, and, you know, he felt like he's not in a great spot with his career either. Um, and so he basically asked me straight up, like, how do I hold down a career with three kids and still play fighting games at a high level? Uh, the high level part's questionable. You know, hey, like, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, sure, I'm a high level player. But I, I guess, I guess you know, it depends on how you phrase it. But I'm a master level Monot player. That's, that's pretty good. I'll take it. You know, I can, I can win some matches in tournaments. So um, anyway... One thing I will start off with uh, to kick this off is is a quick correction here. Uh, I only play Street Fighter Five at a high level. 
that's the one game I still play. If it's like an old game like Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, sure, I can play that at a high level, like probably with my eyes closed, right? That's that's not an issue. Um, but that is the one game I play. And I don't mean just like the one fighting game. I mean, that's the one game I play. That's all I play. Um, and uh, for example, we were talking about Castlevania. I'm obviously a very huge fan of that series. Uh, Bloodstained uh, was like the spiritual successor that just came out. That's on my to-do list to play at some point, but it's taken a complete backseat to just playing Street Fighter V because where I'm at right now, I'm really happy with the game. I enjoy it. It helps feed into my career. Um, and so where I'm going with this is that you have to make sacrifices when you've got a family. Like there's no other way to do it, but... When you make those sacrifices, um, you're trading up. Like, let's say, you know, there's a game that you really wanted to play. That's like, you know, maybe not really wanted, but like look, was looking forward to. Like uh, on your on your like want to play list, it was like a seven or eight out of ten. Well, what you'll find is that that gets replaced by having the opportunity to spend time like with your wife or your kids and to see the magic in their eyes when you teach them about like a three hit combo and Street Fighter V. And I watched that with my oldest son, who I am teaching to play Street Fighter V, slowly but surely. You know, he's got a um, school and all that other kind of stuff he's focusing on. But when you watch your child's eyes light up, uh, and on a more basic level, like when you're teaching them to read or to speak properly and other things like that, and they're seeing that magic time with dad, um, you remember that as a kid, like your want to play through uh, some random games and stuff like that, it diminishes quite a bit. And it doesn't go away. It's like, hey, I'd still love to be playing Bloodstained and I'd love to have the time for it. But that stuff, it becomes the volume level gets turned down on it. And it does take time. Like you you spent your whole life, you know, single and not having children and all that kind of thing. Like it takes a little while for you to be able to properly adjust and kind of have that balance in there. Um, but you have to kind of prioritize that too. Like being happy in life and doing that, it's hard work. It's really hard work. And if you don't... If you don't put in that work, like it's very easy to get miserable. Um, your life changes dramatically when you have kids and, and you have to, you know, and when you have a career for that matter, uh, it's no coincidence in the fighting game community that a lot of, of new players kind of jump up on the scene and have a lot of success and they're very young and, and that's not uncommon. I think Minute RD is like, is he even 20 yet? Um, I don't know. These young guys showing up. Knuckle Dude was young. Knuckle <laughs> not, not anymore. Sonic yeah, he's, Fox he's just turned 21. Yeah. Sonic Fox is like 15 years old or something like that. It's like <laughs> He's like the legend because he's really not that old. You think he's older than he is and he's like so young. I think he's like more like 19 now. But um, you've got these young guns out there and they it's just it's different for them because they have the time. You know, and, and I'm not saying like, oh, I could beat Sonic Fox if I had the time. Like that guy's a freaking prodigy beyond belief and all that kind of stuff. It's just things have to change as you get older, but it doesn't have to be bad. Like you can make it bad. You can say like, hey, I don't get this. I don't get that. But you just you replace some of the things that you did before with things that are really difficult. Like when I said this stuff is really hard, like you get very frustrated with your kids, like when they do stuff that like is really messed up. And I won't go into that because it's like, you know, but um and it's hard to help them work through that stuff. You've got a whole brand new person that you're trying to grow and get you know into a good spot. Um, but when you see it click for them, when you see those magic moments, like you will trade beating 100 video games for that one time because the reward is priceless. It's freaking priceless. So... Mm -hmm. So that's... I, uh, I don't have kids. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have kids. 
but uh, I do have a relationship, and uh, I'm going to be saving this part of the podcast and listening to it on repeat come Saturday because we have a local tournament on Saturday. Guess who's not going to be there because they have to go to a baby shower <laughs> this guy and i am uh super happy about it so but anyways i'm gonna be listening to your uh, little pep talk there I'm, I'm enjoying and appreciating the things that you do get that come in you know the way of fighting games because uh i'm gonna have to repeat that on constantly to myself come saturday Gotcha. And just to share a few other things, too. Um, my oldest son, he likes to play Minecraft and Fortnite, uh, of course. So I make sure I, I spend some time playing with that with them. Uh, I listen to Critical Role a lot. Uh, that's a D&D like podcast with voice actors from Street Fighter. A lot of them, um, like four of them do Street Fighter characters like Laura Bailey's Chun-Li, uh, Travis Willingham, if I got his name correctly, is like Guile. And there's a bunch of others as well. Uh, uh, their names are completely escaping me. But like, again, there's like half the cast of Street Fighter or whatever they cover. Uh, they do a brilliant job, play D&D. And now I want to get that going with uh, my family, you know, and, and uh, have like, you know, D&D sessions. Like, I think I need to wait like three or four years or whatever, but it's something I'm planning. And like, that's awesome. Like, you get to play with your family and like experience all this stuff. So there's a lot of cool things. And you you just have to kind of customize your life. Like, you have to really adapt to that. And again, it's hard. It's hard and it's a lot of work. Um, but one of the other things that uh, this gentleman reached out to ask me about was like how I kind of went through the, that transition, um, like with Event Hubs and what I did there. Um and so it was around uh, 2007, and uh, I still considered myself somewhat young at that time, right? Um, and I was actually looking at becoming a pro gamer or starting event hubs. Uh, I think the choice is pretty obvious of what I made there, right? Um, but I had my first child on the way, uh, and I was working at a corporate newspaper job. Um, but I knew I wanted to distance myself somewhat from that lifestyle of corporate America and find a happier spot because I was not very happy there uh, with some of the changes that had went on. Um, and I, I wanted to find better opportunities. Um, and if there were better opportunities available to me, I would have taken them. But I live in a fairly kind of small town, uh, not a lot of tech jobs and other things like that. Um, so uh, I just started one. I, I looked at the pro gamer you know, thing and fighting game you know, fighting community back in 2007 and said, no, like I would love to do this, but this is just not viable. It's just not a good spot to be in. Um, and, uh, so, um, and then I looked at, of course, my hometown to try to find a viable tech job. There wasn't one. So I made my own and that's why I started event hubs. It's like, there was no other really good tech jobs out here that I could do. Um, and I, I think I speak for the team here that, you know, we don't have a high turnover rate. We've held on to most of our people through the years. Um, we have seven full-time employees here uh, with some holiday pay and a few other small benefits. Um, and I'd say some fairly modest uh, salaries. Um, they're not bad for the journalism realm, like online journalism, but you know, they're not, we're not raking in, you know, cash hand over fist or anything like that. I'm just waiting for dental. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea at some point, but, uh, um, we've tried really hard to make event hubs a very good job to have where people are generally happy to come into work and enjoy what they do. And I think all of us here for the most part are probably giving up more money than we could be earning elsewhere to do something that we love. And, and that's one of the sacrifices that we've kind of made as a team. It's what we've tried to build here. Right. Um, uh, and anyway, so uh, there's so many ways that you can go and make this work is kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, I looked at being a pro gamer and I realized like, look, back then, back in 2007, before Street Fighter 4 had even hit, that probably was not the best idea to go to. I am so happy I chose to do event hubs and, you know, have a you know solid business going on here right now. Um, 
these choices are not easy, but they're out there. And if you're unhappy with where you're at, that's kind of where you start at. You start making changes. You start looking at these, you know, small ways that you can you can have a good success in life by, by teaching your kids, like, whatever skills you have, uh, learning to have fun with them, learning all that stuff, like having magic moments. Um, and and as you build on that, as you as you get a little better at it, it gets easier. You know, but the, the first, you know, getting out of a rut and other stuff, like, it's really hard. And, uh, and there it is. So, so you can look and see uh, wonderful examples like yourself. If, if you're in this particular situation, you're feeling a little uh, lost for, for what to do next. Um, there's, there's also, though, the, the example of Sako. You don't see that very yeah. often. But yeah. he, he's, he's like a, one of the best in the world, continues to travel. Probably doesn't travel as much as, as he would otherwise, but he's a family man and, and very, it's very well documented as such. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you can do it. Apparently, I don't know the specifics of his situation and what he would be, what he would say. It'd be interesting to hear that, um, his response to this as well. But, you know, you can go various paths and, and, and make it work. So don't feel like, uh, you know, don't feel hopeless because yeah, it'll work. A, a great story here is Justin Wong, uh, who came up to us at Capcom Cup um, and was talking to both of us. And he's like, hey, guys, you know, I'm working hard on my content channel. Um, and I, I don't know if we knew at the time that he had a child coming, but he, he realized he wanted to make some changes in his life in terms of not traveling as much and not being as much of a pro gamer and get really into content because, you know, he has a child on the way. Right. And he's probably seen what his uh, friend Flo has done with content and all that and said, hey, this is could be a good route for me, too. Um, his tier list aside, we won't go into those, but I think things are working well for him. Uh, and we were happy to, you know, um, we, we've always been on great terms with Justin. Um, and we're like, dude, like, you know, let's let, here's some tips, you know, here's some things we can do to help you with and stuff like that. And I think it's working well for him. And that's a pretty big adjustment going from being like prime, predominantly a pro gamer to being a content creator. We know this, um, you and I have both been through that transition. Uh, and it's, it's definitely different, but you can make it work and you can also be happier than you, you would ever think doing that. Um, zero, the, the smash Four God is another one who, who's, um, you know, infamous for doing that where he's like, uh, the most dominant player I think in fighting games ever. And then he transitions mainly to being a content creator and it seems like he's happy doing it. You know, it seems like he's good. So, uh, be flexible. Uh, there's a lot of people who do this kind of stuff. I'm not saying become a content creator in the fighting game community. Uh, if, if that's what you want to do, sure. You know, kind of thing. But what I am getting at is there are so many ways to peel the apple here and find a happy existence for yourself and your family. Um, but just know it's hard. So, all right, y'all. Uh, so serious time's over now. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're, but um, I will just say that um, this has been kind of a more heavy podcast, you know, talking about these subjects and whatnot. Definitely has some some uh, more positive moments and some, you know, lower moments and whatnot. Um, but there's been a great line out there uh, that I've been, I've been hearing and it's just like, uh, I'll, I'll quote Bill and Ted's actually, they've got another movie coming out here soon. And it's just like, be excellent to each other. You know, try to find ways to to come together and, and be friendly and be positive. And you're helping to change someone's life in a good way when you do that kind of stuff. And it's one of the reasons how can we do the podcast? Like, even though it gets heavy sometimes, like we always try to have a, a positive, you know, thing to, to transfer on to our listeners and try to put something good out there, you know, and, and being good out there can be like, hey, I, I showed my brother how to, you know, uh, play you know, Cammy in Street Fighter Five or something like that. Uh, you can have little moments of goodness. Um, uh, there are a lot of ways to to change your life and change the lives of the people around you. And that's that's what we're about here. That's what we're about in fighting games. It's it's uh, we're all trying to get better, um, but so often 
the things we're trying to get better at in fighting games, they transfer directly onto our, our lives. And, and, you know, doing things like meditation, as we were talking about, to, to help get through stressful situations, that works in, in all aspects. So um, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm rambling now, so we've definitely better wrap this up. Uh, well, and you also just said that producing new cami players is a way to contribute to, like, the, <laughs> like I don't know, whatever, man. Whatever. Yeah, I probably should use a better example there, like Monat or something like that, right? Like, that's, that's a better thing. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, do try to be excellent to each other. Try to be excellent to yourself. And, and you can change your life and, and make things more positive for everyone. And, and that's what we're here for. So, all right, guys, that's definitely going to wrap us up here. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. John, go ahead. Oh, I didn't have any. I'm, I'm not going to be able to top all that. You're, oh. you're Mr. Wisdom over here <laughs> oh, telling man. everybody how to live life and balance fighting oh. games. And I'm just sitting over here taking notes of the cami stuff. But like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I'm a, I'm a lucky jackass. That, that's what it comes down to. I, I know some things and man, do I ever get the earth like dumped on my head sometimes in terms of like what I don't know, you know, and uh, I'm just, I'm just trying my best and that's all anyone can hope for. So, but anyway, so on that note, we don't want to ramble too much, but thank you all so much for listening and we will see you soon.